Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well today. Looking forward to continuing to worship the Lord today by looking into His Word. If you would join us, take your Bible and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And by the way, pay no attention to that scripture reference on the screen. I must have done that after the Cowboys lost to the Commanders last week. That's the only thing I figured. Because that actually should be 1 Kings 18, 20 through 19, 18. That'd be a fairly long scripture passage to go all the way through 21, verse 18. So it should say 19, and that's my fault. I turned it in the wrong way. We're not going to read all of this today because it is a lengthy passage. The context, we're going to talk about the background, a little bit about the story. So I'm going to try to tell the story of how all these things that we're going to talk about today happened and why they're significant as they relate to what it means to have the power of God within us when we face change or challenge. And we're going to be talking about facing change by accepting God's call. And this goes back to Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So let's stand together as we read God's Word, and we'll jump around a little bit. I'll try to tell you what verses, where we're going to go. We begin with verse 20 in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, which says, So Ahab sent a messenger among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone and left as a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox, and I will, I, I will, uh, I will lay it on the wood, and I will not put fire under it. Now let's skip over to verse uh, 30, uh, rather uh, 39, because we'll talk about what happens in between in just a minute. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked, and he said, There is nothing. He said, Go back seven times. It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went back to, to Jezreel. Now skip over to, verse, to chapter 19 and look at verse 9. Then he came there, speaking of Elijah, to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, Well, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. 
For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, have torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Aram. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of of Abel-Malah, you shall uh, anoint as a prophet in your place. Okay, thank you. You can be seated. Back in 1964, the Olympic Games were held in Japan, and on a huge screen, they put up a a motto. It was the, the message of the Olympians. They always pick a phrase or something to emphasize the competition, and this is what they put on the screen back in 1964. The most important thing in the Olympic Games is not to win, but to take part. Just as the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. The essential thing is to have fought well. When I think about that statement, it's about half true, in that the struggle in life is very important. But we need to understand that the victory is also important because the victory has been won by God. Our struggle in life today is not a struggle to win a victory. Our struggle in life today when we face uncertain circumstances is to live in the victory that we've been handed by Jesus Christ because He won that victory on the cross. And so many Christians live defeated or discouraged because they feel like they have to strive to achieve or to win something spiritually in their life. When the truth is, we simply need to surrender ourselves to a victory that's already been won. You know, World War II was a great battle, of course. It was um, one of the, the greatest conflicts in the history of the world because of the evil that had risen in Nazi Germany. And a great victory was won. We live in a world that was shaped by that victory. And we have to defend that victory every day. We benefit from it. But we don't have to achieve it because it's already been done. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13 says this, When you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He, being Jesus, made you alive together with Him, having forgiven all your transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Praise the Lord, we don't work, we don't live or work for a spiritual victory. We live in that victory. Now the story of Elijah and the feet of the prophets of Baal takes place in the context of the disintegration of the unified nation of Israel under Solomon. As you probably know, when Solomon died, then the kingdom was divided. Rehoboam divided up the promised land. Jeroboam reigned in Israel, and Rehoboam reigned in, in uh, Judah. Israel suffered a host of evil kings. I mean, they had one wicked, bad king after another, leading up to where we are today in the story, all the way up to Ahab. So the characters in the story today are Ahab, Jezebel, Elijah, the prophets of Baal, and Obadiah. And out of those characters, we only have two that are true believers in everything that they say that they believe, holders of their principles. And that's Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You've got Ahab, he's waffling back and forth, trying to decide if he's going to follow his wife, Jezebel, who leads the cult of Baal, or is the one true God of Elijah the one true God? So he's kind of going back and forth. The people are going back and forth between the two. Obadiah is called of God. In fact, Obadiah hides some of the prophets, 100 prophets, the Bible says. They were Jezebel had decided she was going to kill all the prophets of God. So Obadiah comes along and he hides a hundred of them. So he's working undercover, so to speak, for the Lord, but he's still following Ahab, the king. He sort of works for the king and he works for God. So Ahab has kind of a divided loyalty, or Obadiah rather, has kind of a divided loyalty between being true to God and working for the king. And then you have Elijah, the true prophet of God, who is standing for his truth. And then you have the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, who are sold out to being the prophets of a false god. Now I want you to think about all of this in the context of the world that we live in today. Because we find the same situation. We find people that are like Elijah. They are firm in their belief. They're standing for the truth of God. We find people that are like the crowd in Elijah's day. They're like, it's like they're watching a tennis match. I'm going to say a little bit more about this in a minute, but it's back and forth, and sometimes they're, yes, God, and then if the culture moves away from God, they begin to move with the culture. And then you have people like the prophets of Baal who are dedicated to false religions, and there are a lot of them in our world today cults and full-blown false religions and then you have people like Obadiah Obadiah wants to be the quiet believer in other words he wants to work behind the scenes to do good but when it comes time to stand up to Ahab he's afraid because he knows Ahab has the power whereas Elijah as the man of God is bold in the face of Ahab He's bold in the face of the circumstances that Ahab puts him in. And what makes that possible is his belief in the power of God. In fact, I want us to see that Elijah was confident in his knowledge of God. 
He was confident in the knowledge. If we're going to stand alone against a world that's chasing after other gods, our strength is going to come from our confidence that we've heard from God, number one, that we've heard from God, that God has spoken through His Word. That's why His Word is so important. Let me tell you something I've observed in the short time that I've been here. Five Forks, as a church, has a high view of God's Word. Because as I go to Bible study classes, as I go to Wednesday night service and we have a smaller group and Sunday night service when it's a little larger group and even on Sunday morning, what I hear are people referencing the Scripture. There's a high view of God. So the first thing is being accomplished. We have to believe in what God says. But the second thing is we have to be willing to act on that belief because that is our belief. We have to take action. We have to stand up when the time comes to stand against the evil that's in our world and the things that can come to distract us. And so Elijah's confident. And Ahab, it's interesting, Ahab calls Elijah a troubler of Israel. And you know what I've discovered? People that don't fear God, they're always blaming God's people for everything that goes wrong. In the world today, there's a lot of people that point toward Christianity and they say, you know, those of us who are believers and follow the Word of God, we're the problem in the culture today because we're the bigots, we're the homophobes, we're the, we're, we're the people that always keep things stirred up, we're the racist. When the truth is that those of us that are following God's Word have the answer to those things, but those who refuse to acknowledge God's word need a scapegoat. So they point to the faithful in the world who are actually following Jesus. And, and may I say to you that we have to have confidence in God and we have to be willing to stand the way Elijah was because it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. It's going to be harder and harder for Christians to stand. Now, listen, I wish I had better news for you. I mean, I don't want to stand up here on a Sunday morning, a beautiful day. And I was talking, I ran into Tony coming into the church, and he said, this is what I love about this area of the world. In the mornings, it's so beautiful, even if it's crisp and cool like it is today. And I'm thinking, yeah, we, we, we live in a great part of the world. I, I, don't, I don't want to be the guy to come in here and rain on the, the parade today, but I have to tell you what I believe is true. And I believe it's true that the world is not going to be reformed to our beliefs. Now, we're going to win people to Jesus out of the world, but as a system, we're going to continue to come under scrutiny and to come under fire. I can tell you right now, the transformation of the United States Supreme Court is going to become more and more important as we go forward because they've made decision after decision in favor of religious liberty. Which means under the law, they're saying that we as Christians get to live according to our beliefs and we don't have to be forced to conform to this world. Now, that'll provide us some protection for a little while. But no matter what the cultural condition, no matter what the circumstances, even if the world turns against that, we as believers have to follow what Romans says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not to be conformed to the status of this world. And that transformation Elijah demonstrates here because of his confidence 
and his knowledge of God. Look, he knows, he knows that uh, Ahab has influence and power, but he trusts in God's power to be above Ahab's power. And that's, that's the kind of life that I want to live. Notice Elijah gave the people a chance to repent by asking them, how long will you waver between two opinions? We, we live in a world that loves to waver, to go back and forth between one thing or the other, never holding firm or tight to anything. And that's a recipe for disaster. When change comes, it is most important that our principles, the things that we have accepted as the Word of God, our knowledge of God, are what anchor us in the midst of change. Because, man, change, particularly in a church, can cause people to begin to doubt one another, to point fingers, to cause disunity, to divide the church over this camp or that camp. And that is the thing that Satan wants because he understands that a unified church is effective and powerful in the world where a divided church is completely ineffective. Because the world looks at us as believers and asks the question, who are we and can we demonstrate the love that we talk about is evident among us in this place? And so we need to be grounded by those principles because if we're not, we're going to be blown back and forth by the wind. Now the Hebrew word for waver here actually means to limp. I love that. Because it means that the people were limping along, not strong in one direction or the other. Sometimes they'd lean up against the world and the culture and trust in what they were saying. Sometimes they'd lean up against God. It depends on what they felt like was most necessary in their life. Being grounded and dedicated to the knowledge of God is exactly the remedy for all of this. Now, Elijah proposes a test. Why? Because he's confident in the outcome. You know, I've been to Mount Carmel a couple of times, and you stand up there and you can see the Dead Sea from Mount Carmel, and you can see the valley below. And I mean, standing up there on the summit of the mountain, it really makes you think about this. We, 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 we picture events in the Bible, and sometimes I think we don't get the full import of their power. Elijah was by himself. He asked for the people to help, and they were like, mm, we don't know. That Ahab looks pretty strong. We haven't really decided yet who's going to win this battle. He asked Obadiah at one point, he says, go tell Ahab I'm coming to see him. Obadiah says, mm-mm, not me, because I know God's been hiding you from Ahab, and if I go tell Ahab you're coming, and you don't show up, I'll disappear. And so, Elijah is standing there by himself, but look at the power and the confidence he has. He says, I'll tell you what, let's have a test. Let's, let's put these two gods to the test and see who is the one true God. So, Elijah was courageous in the face of compromise. He was courageous because he believed that God would act according to his character and according to his will. Elijah acted because he believed his actions were backed up by God. Now, I love what goes on when this context, contest takes, takes place. Elijah gets a little, uh, a little surly in the middle of it. 
Because this is an all-day affair. You've got to imagine. They build an altar for the prophets of Baal. They put the sacrifice on there. And then Elijah builds his altar, digs a trench around it, puts the sacrifice on there. And then he just sits back and waits because he tells the, the uh, prophets of Baal to go first. They won the toss, so they get to decide which half they receive the ball. So they get... I'm, you, I'm, I'm too much into the NFL, I understand. But it's the playoffs. What do you expect? So anyway, you've got, you've got the prophets of Baal over here, and all day long they're crying out to Baal. And at one point they start to cut themselves. It says they, they begin to mingle their blood. And, and I want you to notice something about that. Do you know every religion in the world except Christianity and Judaism requires death for salvation? for the assurance of salvation. Think about Islam for a minute. You see, Islam is based on the scales. How do you know if you're a good Muslim whether you're going to get to heaven or not? Well, it depends on the scales. Have you done more good than bad? And you can't ever know for sure until life is over, whether you balance the scales, which side you're on. But guess what? If you martyr yourself, if you kill people in the name of Allah and you die as a martyr, in a jihad, a declared jihad, you get a ticket straight to heaven. So you've got Islam teaching that the way you get to heaven is to kill yourself and others. And you've got Christianity teaching that one man died for the sake of everyone who would believe so that they might have eternal life. What a contrast that is. Because God is a God of life, and that's the gift He brings. And that's what he wants for all of us. So they're out there, they're cutting themselves, they're crying out, and Elijah gets a little bit surly. He says, why don't you cry a little bit louder? Maybe Baal can't hear too good. Now there's even, if you look at the Hebrew, it even says, maybe he's gone to the bathroom. <laughs> See, pagans believe that Baal was like a human being, like he was, he was just a, he, he, had to, he had to go, and he had to, eat and he had you know so and, and sometimes he would take a rest so elijah he capitalizes on those things and he taunts them and in the time of the evening sacrifice oh my goodness wouldn't you love to be you know of all the places if i had a time machine one of the places i'd want to be was standing on mount carmel when elijah said okay now take and fill cover the altar with water and filled the ditch around it with water. And then he simply looks up to heaven and says, God, glorify your name. And the fire of God falls down, burns up the sacrifice, drains the water out of the ditch, and all the people go, wow, he's the real one true God. I mean, I almost feel like I'm, it's a Gomer Pyle moment. You know, go away. Well, sometimes, let, let, let me tell you, wouldn't you like to be in a place at a time to see the fire of God fall? I want to see the fire of God in my lifetime. I want to see the power of the Holy Spirit come and do things in His people, in God's people, that only the power of the Holy Spirit can affect. And you know when that happens? When God's glory is on the table. When God's glory is on the table. So you want to know why so many people see miracles on the mission field? Because missionaries step up and they put His glory 
on the table. They call on the name of God, just like Elijah. And they say, Lord, if you don't demonstrate yourself here among these people, they will not know. And I believe God responds to that. We need that same kind of moment in our lives in order to face change, in order to face the circumstances that we face today in the world. People that are doing that already, Jack Phillips, the Masterpiece Cake Shop, Remember Joe Kennedy? Some of you, if it, how many of you have heard the name Joe Kennedy? Okay, got a few. Let me, he's a high school assistant football coach. And after every game, he just started by himself walking out to the middle of the football field and praying. He would walk out to the middle of the field and get down on his knees and pray. And over time, players from both sides started joining him, and there was a prayer service. And the school district said, oh, no, no, we can't be talking to God on school time. So you have to stop. And he said, no, I won't. And they said, fine, you're fired. He went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and they said, you cannot tell him that he can't pray. You've got to hire him back. Now, let me tell you something. You think Joe Kennedy had a nice, smooth ride? from the moment he was fired all the way to the Supreme Court, I guarantee you it was a, day, a daily struggle. But he believed that he had heard from God and that God had called him to do this. And so he was faithful. And he gave himself over to it. And things changed because of that. Because of his courage. Now others can go pray and know that if somebody fires them, they're the ones that are going to be in trouble, at least for the time being. So these are people, when I see this kind of thing happening, it encourages me because it says to me, here's where the Lord is doing a work. This is where the fire of God has fallen. God has stepped into a person's life and so empowered them that they're standing up against the powers of this world. And know this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We just need to believe that as the church, as the body of Christ. Next thing, Elijah was committed to presenting God as the one true God. Elijah wasn't looking for fame or fortune. He wasn't trolling for votes in a popularity contest. He wasn't even trying to get the prophet of the year contest won. Elijah just wanted the people to know that God is the one true God. And that needs to be our motivation. Why do we do the things we do? Because we want to witness to the fact that the God we believe in is the one true God. He's the God of the Bible. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God who sent His Son, who one day I gave my life to Him because I was broken over my sin, and I humbled myself, and He changed me from somebody who was a pretender and to somebody who wanted to live the rest of his life making sure that the name of God was lifted up and that there was only one true God. That's what motivated Elijah, the desire for the people to know that there's only one true God. Fourth thing, Elijah was comforted when his courage failed. Beginning in chapter 19, <laughs> This is an amazing story, is it not? I mean, just think about it with me for a minute. What just happened here? Elijah just stood up against Ahab, the king. He stood up against the waffling people. 
He stood up against 450 prophets of Baal, and he won. God made the fire fall. The next day, Jezebel said, Elijah, I'm going to make you like one of those prophets you killed. I'm going to turn you into a dead prophet. And what did Elijah do? Ran like a scalded dog. I mean, he went into the wilderness. The Bible says he went and hid in a cave. Let me tell you something. Fatigue and spiritual victories can sometimes, the, the amount of energy that has to be expelled can leave us vulnerable to the lies of the devil. And Elijah was afraid of Jezebel, even in the face of a great miracle that he had just witnessed. And I want you to see God's response because I think it's so important. God shows up and what does he do? First of all, he takes care of Elijah's needs. He sends the angel to take care of food and water, basics. This is what you need to be strengthened. Gives Elijah some time just to rest and reflect. Then God shows up and reveals his power in the wind and in the, the, the things that, that come, the thunder, the, the earthquake. God reveals his power once again to Elijah. But then when it comes time to inspire Elijah, he calls him out to the entrance of the cave and he speaks to him to encourage him. Can I just tell you, I believe that's what God does to us when we get to a place of discouragement. We need to remember his power. We need to take a minute to restore our bodily strength. And then we need to listen for his voice because I believe he'll restore us if we get discouraged. Some of you may be discouraged. I've heard a little bit of discouragement in the church. You know, and I'm not going to talk about the circumstances, but you all know them. What, what led to me being here as an interim pastor? And occasionally, when somebody will speak about it to me, they'll, they'll simply drop their head as they talk about it. And you know what that says to me? That there's discouragement because of the way or the manner in which things happen. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not here to, to comment on that. I'm here to tell you that if that's a feeling that you genuinely have, if you will acknowledge the power of God in your life and call on His name, He will lift you out of that discouragement and put you in the place that you need to be to serve Him and put all of that behind you. Because that's necessary. You know, I remember... <clears throat> When I made the transition from pastor at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church in Fountain Inn to North Greenville University, <clears throat> I can't explain this, but I went into a depression. I mean, I had a few weeks in between, and we were supposed to go to Carowinds. Me and my kids, we love roller coasters. We like the bigger, the higher, the faster, the more turns and twists, the better. And so we had, this, we had this standing date where we would go to Carowinds every year and ride every roller coaster as many times as we could. And I was supposed to go to Carowinds that day. It was Christian Music Day. They were going to have a big concert that night. And so I was on the bed in my house in the middle of the day. I mean, in the, in, in, I didn't want to get up. I mean, I'd been there for several days. I was so depressed that the idea of getting out of bed was something that I just couldn't deal with. I just, I, I, it just came on me. And my wife came in there and said, you're going to disappoint your children? And I said, no. And she said, you need help. You need to call the doctor. 
And I called a doctor, and he wrote a prescription for me. And Denise went and picked up the medication, and I put it next to the bed. And I got up. I didn't take one, but I got up, and I went to Carowinds. Now, if you're depressed, can I just tell you that standing in line with a bunch of sweaty people <laughs> waiting, for, waiting to get on a ride is not the best thing to cure that depression. But I did have a good time with my kids. But that night, when I was still in the throes of depression, boy, this memory is it's still fresh. Still in the throes of depression, I go to this concert and I hear the newsboys begin to sing, Blessed be your name, when I'm found in a desert place. And I began to worship. I mean, I know my kids thought I'd lost my mind because I lifted my hands and I was worshiping and I was singing to the top of my lungs. And can I just tell you something? God reached down into me and pulled whatever dark thing had crawled into my heart and pulled it right out. I went home that night and I went to sleep. I never touched that medication. I'm not saying don't take medication because sometimes it's necessary. But I'm just saying I don't think I needed it. I needed what God did for me that night. And I went home and I slept 11 hours. And when I got up, the world was a different place. We need the power of God. We need to trust in Him because there are circumstances in this life that are going to leave you without courage. That's what discouragement means. And the power of God restores our courage. It can happen to anybody. I mean, look, I was a pastor. I was serving God. I was about to go to a university to build a Christian worldview center and to impact young people as they came through in the name of God and for His glory. And in the midst of all of that, that had to be counted as victory, I fell into a depression. But God is the rescuer. He is the lifter of our head. The Bible says that He pulled us out of the miry clay and He places our feet upon the rock and He restores the song in our heart. And I believe God will do that if we'll go to Him. Final thing, and then we're done. Elijah was comforted when his courage failed. But then we also see that God gave Elijah something to do. He was commissioned by God to return to the call. And there was a list of things. Do you remember? He was to anoint Haziel, king over Syria, anoint Jehu, king over Israel, to train and anoint Elisha to take his place. And Elisha became even a greater prophet than Elijah because of Elijah's pouring into him. And so that's the way God does for us. When, when we face these moments, when we feel discouraged after a great spiritual victory, then God doesn't just comfort and strengthen us. He says, get up and get back to work. Get back to invest in yourself in the things of the Lord. Because in moving forward, that sort of pushes the residue of that darkness out of your life. And then God said this. He said, there's 7,000 that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. Don't ever believe that you're the only one. Satan wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe that you're alone, that you're like those polar bears they show on television when they're talking about global warming, that you're out there floating around on a little ice floe and there's nobody close to you. I could say a lot about that. But let me just say that the isolation that's pictured in that one frame 
is what Satan wants you to believe spiritually about your life. Don't believe it. There are believers praying for you, praying for each other, and God has called us to put our hand to the plow. And as long as we're living in this life, we serve Him. And I don't, I don't, I don't care what age you may be. You know, I'm hearing all this talk about 55 and older and all these announcements and I'm looking forward to getting to 55 so I can participate in all those things. <laughs> yes, that's a joke. <clears throat> but here's the thing. No matter what our age, young, got your whole life before you, the power of God is calling you to be His servant and to find your place to serve Him. Old like me, God is saying to me, whatever you've got left, whatever strength you have, I want it. Because you've got things that I've poured into your life over a lifetime that people need to know. You know, some things you can't get without experience. And sometimes as we get older, the church and the body of Christ needs to recognize the value of those who are older if they've been serving the Lord their whole life. It's a beautiful thing. Because if you get around people that haven't served the Lord, that get older, they just get surly and nasty. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that wakes up every day and says, Lord, what have you got for me today? I don't know how much time I've got left to serve you. It doesn't matter because I just want to make every day count. I want to be available. Let me finish with this story, true story from history. Jack Crawford was a sailor in the Royal Navy in the 18th century. And as the Battle of Camperdown on October 11th 1797 was being fought. He was serving at that time on the HMS Venerable under Admiral Duncan, the Royal Navy commander and chief of the North Seas. And during the battle, the top of the main mast of the ship that Jack Crawford was on was sheared off and the Admiral's flag fell to the deck because that's, that, and, and that's the symbol. When, when the colors are struck, when the admiral's flag goes down, that means the battle's over. Jack Crawford grabbed that flag in the midst of the battle, climbed to the top of what was left of the mast, grabbed a mallet and a nail, and nailed that color to the mast. Basically saying, this battle is never over because this flag's staying right here. In your life, you need to nail your colors to the mast. How do you do that? You do it by allowing the Word of God to be so transformational in your life that change, challenge, whatever comes into your life, calamity, the power of God, your confidence and your knowledge of God and in His power is enough to deliver you and to make you strong for the fight. Let's stand together as we have an invitation. Father, I pray in these moments, as we think about this event in Elijah's life, that we would remember how important it is for us, O oh God, to be men and women like Elijah, to have the same attitude toward you, to be confident in the knowledge of who you are, and then to live in the power that he grants. Lord, I pray that if there's, if there's been hurt, 
Even as Elijah felt hurt and felt the necessity to retreat into a cave, I pray that if there's been hurt in this body, that you would heal the hurt. Minister to the downtrodden. Strengthen them by your presence and call them to service. In Jesus' name. You come as God speaks. If you want to come to the altar, it's open for you to come and pray. If God's calling you to unite with this church, come. We would love to receive you if you're serving Jesus. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you today. I'd be happy to do that as we sing.